think having a solid uh, biblical worldview, uh, a, a strong understanding of who God is, uh, a really strong understanding of who we, fallen mankind, who we are, um, and a, a solid understanding of what the world is. It's a broken planet. And if we can understand what the scriptures say about God, about us, and about the, the creation, about the world, um, I think that's really important in helping us to overcome trauma. Well, good morning again. Good morning to those of you who have joined us online. I want to say a special welcome to all of our elementary students. Thanks for being here this morning. Barb Wohler reminded us really of the big ideas from last Sunday. We live in a broken world, but we put our trust, our faith in a good God. Broken world, good God. And part of living in a broken world means that we experience loss. What kinds of losses? Well, loss of a spouse or a family member or a friend to death. There are other kinds of losses. There's a loss of health, maybe the loss of uh, the, the use of a limb uh, because of a stroke or a heart attack or some kind of accident. We can lose possessions in a hurricane or in a fire. We can lose position or employment. So how do we recover? How do we recover from losses in life? And how do we help other people recover from loss? And we're talking about resilience that's the theme, so let's, let's kind of remember our definition of resilience here. What is resilience? Resilience is the capacity to recover from difficult life experiences. It's the process, it's rarely a momentary thing, but a process of successfully adapting to challenging life events. And then thirdly, the ability to heal from heart wounds and move forward in a healthy, healthy way. And as I look at that, I, I especially that last one, to heal and to move forward in a healthy way makes me think that although they're not exactly the same thing, resilience and sanctification go hand in hand. In other words, developing resilience makes us more like Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's part of the reason why we're studying this whole idea of resilience because we want to become more like Christ. Today we're going to talk about resilience in the face of grief and loss, the journey of grief. So what is grief? To grieve is to mourn the loss of someone or something. And when you lose someone or something that's really important to you, um, you also ha have the potential of losing a sense of your identity. Who am I? And the whole the process of grief is, is, is going from that disorientation of who, who am I and beginning to um, change and adjust and adapt to the new reality and, and forming that sense of identity again. But as believers, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We uh, grieve with hope. We have grief with hope. Broken world, yes, but we have hope because we have a good God. This is, this is what Jesus was all about, by the way. 
when he began his ministry, one of the first places he went was back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he stood up on a Sabbath, and he read scripture. And what he read was from Isaiah chapter 61. Here are the first three verses of that chapter, Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so you look at at Christ's ministry was one of comforting those who are brokenhearted, those who mourn, those who, who... live in despair, he came to bring hope. And of course, the the problem that Jesus dealt with first was the fundamental problem of sin. And he dealt with that at the cross. And he hasn't fixed this broken world completely yet, but he's going to. He's going to come back and do that. And so we have hope. And as Paul says in Thessalonians, um, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Brothers and sisters, and he's, he's talking here in the context of death and dying, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We, we have hope because Jesus has dealt with the core issue, the fundamental problem of sin. And so we have this this great hope to look forward to. Our hope is now, but also it's a forward-oriented, it's a future-oriented hope because we know that Jesus will return someday and be exalted over everything. We, we sang that just now, exalted over all. And when Jesus is here, exalted over everything, look, look what happens, Revelation chapter 21. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's our hope that this is actually going to happen. Hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And so it gives us hope in the moment. By the way, Paul didn't say, don't grieve, right? He didn't say, come on, don't grieve. He said, we don't grieve without hope. We don't grieve without hope. This is good. It reminds me as I think about this um, of the Chronicles of Narnia. Hey, kids, I hope you've read or your parents have been responsible enough and love you enough <laughs> to, re- to read the Chronicles of Narnia to you. All right? If, if you miss that, wow. So uh, in the first book called The Magician's Nephew, we, we uh, kind of get walked through the creation of this world of Narnia. Uh, but even as it's being created, evil comes into it because a little boy named Diggory unwittingly, not intentionally, drags into this pristine, pure new world that Aslan is singing into existence, a wicked witch who's going to cause a lot of problems later on in the story. And... Uh, Eventually, Diggory has to face Aslan, 
And of course, he's feeling a guilt and shame and fear because of what he has done. But his heart really is longing for a cure for his mother who is <laughs> dying. I'm going to cry. I haven't even started reading yet. <laughs> My boys always thought I was crazy. Dad, why are you crying? All right. Here we go. So, uh, so Diggory, little boy Diggory, walks up to this huge lion, Aslan. And uh, this is what we read. Diggory thought of his mother. And he thought of the great hopes he had had and how they were all dying away. And a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes. And he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own. And wonder of wonders. Great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big bright tears compared with Diggory's own. That for a moment he felt as if. The lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. Only you and I in this land know that yet. Let us be good to one another. Let us be good to one another. God knows about grief. Remember last week, he didn't ignore it. He entered into it in Jesus Christ. We know about grief, so let us as Christ followers be good to one another. And how can we be good to one another when it comes to grief in this world? Well, we can help each other through this journey of grief. And in doing that, we are dispensing the comfort of God. I like this passage from Paul here in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Hmm, that's our God, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God is a God of comfort in our grieving, in our mourning, in our loss, but he comforts through his people. Let's be good to each other. Let's be good to each other. Now, in your notes, you see there I'm talking about um, this journey of grief using the word villages, three villages. And I'm using that word on purpose. Three of our global teammates, Barb Wooler and Larry and Cammie Robbins, they all work in trauma healing in different parts of the world, but mostly in the central part of Africa. And they're are lots of orphans in that part of the world because their parents have died. They've lost their family due to war and disease. And so this teaching of the three villages, of course, in Central Africa, they have villages, all right? This is the powerful teaching to help um, families and children process this journey of grief. And my sister, she, uh, Kami, she came and taught 
our life group one time about the, the three villages, and, and the life group has never stopped talking about it. It was real impactful. And she gets that information from a book put out by the American Bible Society called Healing the Wounds of Trauma. Healing the Wounds of Trauma. <clears throat> so that's why we're using that terminology, but we've kind of even, uh, we've changed that up a bit. You'll see in a moment, I'm gonna need the, the elementary students to help me as we, as we process through this journey of grief. So let's jump in uh, to the first one. So kids, I'm gonna need your help, all right? I'm gonna show you something and you're gonna, you're gonna need to respond. All right, look at this and tell me what emotion you say. Just say it out loud, kids. Kids. That sounded more like a, a scream of, okay, I, did I hear it? Try, anger, okay. Anger is the emotion. When we think about the, the first village on the journey of grief, uh, we think about sadness and anger. We think about denial and anger. Uh, it, when we lose something that's really important to us, it's very disorienting. We can't get our head around it. We can hardly believe it. It can't be true. It's such a shock. And one of the emotions, there are waves of sadness and waves of anger. One of those emotions is anger. Who are we angry at when we lose something? Well, sometimes people are angry at God. Why did you let this happen, God? Uh, if, you've, if you've lost a person to death, sometimes people are even angry at that person. So, sometimes people get angry at themselves. Their anger is turned inward, and they say, if I had only, or I wish I had. And so they're angry at themselves in that moment. Or um, sometimes they, they get angry at other people and blame other people. They, they try to solve the, the, the turmoil of emotions during loss by blaming other people. Of course, that doesn't work. It just makes things worse to blame other people. But, but the first, the first uh, part of the journey uh, is denial and anger. Denial and anger. Well, what do we do about that? How can we help each other? Well, first of all, it's important to recognize that we have to talk about it. People need to talk about it. One way that people get pain out of their hearts is to talk about it. As you talk about it, it releases some of that overwhelming grief, that sorrow, that sense of loss. Talking about it is important. And grieving people need to tell their story many times sometimes over and over again, many times. And, and repeating that story and telling what happened and telling how they feel about it uh, is going to help them process and understand what happened and, and slowly begin to accept it and even eventually trust God with it. And so talking about it is very important. For, for those who are going through this, uh, it's important to learn to lament. We have to learn to lament. What's a lament? Uh, we have lots of models of this in scripture, in the Bible, lots of lament psalms. And in a lament psalm, grief and anger and sorrow and sadness can be just poured out without really any filters, all right? Just pouring out, speaking out, talking about the pain that is in the heart. <clears throat> but that it's done in a context of trust in God. So I was, um, I was thinking, 
as, as uh, I was preparing this sermon, what is the difference between grumbling and lamenting? Because they're both a kind of complaint, right? They're both complaining. What, what's the difference between grumbling and remember God came down hard on the people of Israel for grumbling. But we got all kinds of lamenting going on in scripture. What's the difference between grumbling and lamenting? Let's break up into groups and talk about it. No, that's right. <laughs> I'm tempted. <clears throat> okay, what's the difference between grumbling and lamenting? Well, it's probably the trajectory and, and where you end up. Grumbling is, is kind of self-oriented. It's a downward spile, spiral, really, of saying, I deserve, I deserve better. It's about me. It's a self centered downward spiral that doesn't go anywhere good. Okay, that's grumbling. Lamenting is more like a bridge. It's, it's outward focused, and a bridge takes you from the circumstances and takes you to, to trust in God. Uh, and it's good to lament to pour out our hearts to God. And that bridge of lament can be sometimes a little bit like the Golden Gate Bridge, where it's hard to see the other side. You might go through fog and haze and clouds, but, but a lament is like a bridge. That's the trajectory from the circumstances to faith and trust in God. It takes you somewhere good. A lament really is, is taking your circumstances, your grief, your hurt, your pain, your loss, and you bring them to God. But in doing that, you're actually bringing God into your circumstances. And when God is in your circumstances, that makes all the difference in the world. So that's lament. Let's take a look at one. Uh, scriptures, by the way, are full of them. Uh, there are more lament psalms than any other kind of psalm in the book of Psalms. 67, 67 lament psalms. So, Psalm 13, we're picking it because it's pretty short, right? Uh, psalm 13 is a good example, and it begins with an expression of grief. Okay, Don't, not holding back here. We're going we're gonna to pour it out. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Remember, to, to, to see uh, God's face shine upon someone is to know his presence and his goodness. But to have the face hidden means I don't, I don't experience your blessing. I don't experience your presence, your goodness in my life. At least I feel that way. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And so the we don't know what the specific situation is, but David, who wrote this psalm, is feeling abandoned. He's feeling alone. He's feeling neglected. He, he, he feels like God isn't present. God's not there. God's not helping. I'm facing all these situations by myself. Why, God? Why? When are you going to show up? Okay, that's the, that's the statement, the, the, the real uh, grief of the heart. And then we get the next section, which is a request for help. This is typical in laments that there, there is the statement of the problem, and then there's a request for help. Look on me and answer. I want to see your face shine. Remember me. Okay, Lord my God, give light to my eyes. If your face shines on me, if you are present, if you are working, it gives life to me from the inside out. Get, and that light in my eyes is hope. 
Give me hope in the middle of hard circumstances. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. It's gonna kill me if you don't show up and do something, God. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. God, help. Please help. Please come and do something. And then, and this is typical of lament psalms, it takes a pretty sharp turn here in the last part where uh, the psalmist states, and this is David, stating his trust in God. But, okay, life circumstances, grief, pain, hurt, okay, it's, it, get them out. But here's what a lament psalm always does, and it's what makes a difference, so that it's not just a downward spiral of self saying, I deserve. Instead, it's, it's a bridge saying, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust in you. Okay? David says, but I trust in your unfailing love. That unfailing love isn't a feeling. It's God's covenant faithfulness. It's his loyalty. It's the way God is. He keeps his promises. He doesn't change. It's solid. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. He remembers the character and nature of God, and he remembers what God has done in the past. And he says, that's, that's my hope, who God is and what God is like. That's, that's a lament. We need to get pretty good at um, praying and speaking laments. Not grumbling, lamenting. A really good resource for this, by the way, is a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop. All right, that's a really excellent book on finding God's grace through lamenting. All right, that's, that's village one. Okay, every young person in here, that's 60 and younger now. <laughs> All right, let's look at village number two. Now, what, okay, what's the emotion? Very good, okay. It is sadness, sadness, okay. As time goes by, maybe the anger uh, subsides, the denial subsides, but there, there are still waves of hopelessness and sadness, hopelessness and sadness. And, and um, you know, everybody else moves on with life but you don't move on so quickly. And, and you feel isolated and alone, you feel lonely and neglected uh, a little bit, and it's, it's, it's hard still to, to reorient your life. You're, you still long for the whatever was lost, the person or the thing that was lost, you long for it, and, and it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to get new patterns and to, and to structure your life new, it, it still kind of feels like you're in limbo. Uh, so we're gonna call that sadness, okay. Sadness. Well, what's, okay, I'm gonna, uh, I had that in your outline there a little bit above, but here we'll talk about it. And when it comes to sadness, what's important for us to do? Well, c this person continues to need to talk. Remember, when we talk, it lets out the pain. And so it needs people to stick with them for the long haul and to listen, to be caring listeners, to listen well. Listen well. <clears throat> the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. And one way you draw it out is just by listening well. 
So it's important to listen. What, what are the characteristics of a person who listens well? Well, they genuinely care about the hurting person. And uh, we can care, but that doesn't mean we always know what to say, right? And if you don't know what to say, say it. I am, I am so sorry. I don't know what to say. That's, that's better than silence and avoidance, all right? Because it's awkward and hard. I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know what to say. That, that maybe allows then some space for the person who's hurting to be able to tell their story again. That's going to help them process it and move through the journey of grief. A, a person who's a good listener is also a person who knows how to, well, keep their mouth shut. <laughs> not just in listening, but afterwards. You're not going to tell what you heard. You, you can be trusted to keep things confidential. Uh, a good listener, someone who listens well, uh, encourages people to let out their anger, uh, their frustration, their fears, and they don't trivialize it. And one way we're highly tempted to minimize someone else's pain, and I'm super guilty of this, is telling stories about how our lives relate to theirs. Oh, well, this happened to me. And we want to make a connection, but oh, it just tends to trivialize and minimize. We say, well, yeah, well, I understand because this happened to me. Don't, it's not time to tell your stories. It's time to listen to the other person's story. A person who listens well won't criticize or give solutions or advice too quickly. And, and when someone's still suffering waves of sadness, they're not going to hear teaching too well. Uh, so we need to give it time and be patient with that. Simpl- simply ask, what, what happened? How did it feel? How do you feel? And what was the hardest part about it? And then listen. Of course, we want to pray. And we want to pray for them and then eventually with them. That'll be helpful to take the perspective to God again. It's not about temporal, material things. It's about spiritual, eternal things. And as we can move our view, our perspective from temporal, material things to eternal, spiritual things, uh, that will be helpful. But that takes time, patience over time. Um, Here's a good one. Uh, someone on our speaking team said, who, who, who's gone through difficult things, said this. It's so true. The right person can't say the wrong thing. The wrong person can't say the right thing. <laughs> What's the point? The point is the importance of relational capital, right? If you've established a relationship, then you really can't say the wrong thing because the person knows your heart, knows your love, trusts that relationship, even if we don't always know what to say. Relationship is so important. But, but in this stage, people, people need others in their lives who say it's normal, it's normal, it, it's okay, it takes time, it's a process. And this process is rarely just... Uh, totally linear, and it just goes in one direction. Sometimes anniversaries or events or smells or sensory things can you send you right back here uh, to, to begin with. Um, and, and so it's okay that it's a little bit chaotic. That's normal. It's okay to be sad. Grown men weep. Jesus wept at Lazarus's tomb. The prophets wept. We call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. We, they need people in their lives to say, hey, 
Don't make big decisions and life changes during this phase, okay? All right, if it's, it, it's not a good idea to jump into new things. <clears throat> this can last a long time. I, Tom Julian was always a, an example to me after he lost Doris uh, for about a year and a half. You'd ask him how he's doing, and he'd say, not well. I really miss Doris. And uh, I thought, wow, Tom, thanks for being an example, of being willing to, to, to grieve well. And when we give space for that. Last one. <clears throat> okay, one more time. Help me out. What's this, what's this face? Happy, okay, this is a happy face, very good, and we're going we're to actually call it hope, okay? Uh, we can't just put a happy face on everything, uh, but e- even when things are still a bit hard, we can put hope, right? And so you got, you're right, happy is the face, we're going to call it hope. Eventually, and it may take a long time, there can be happiness again, there can be laughter, and there can be entering back into social things, and there can be uh, new beginnings, that, that you are able to start to think about the future and make plans and uh, move forward in a healthy way. That's the journey, that quickly, the journey of grief, all right? From denial and anger through um, sad, sadness and sense of hopelessness to, to new hope. And what's the challenge for us as a church family? Are we going to be the kind of people that help others through this? How do, we, how do we do that? Four things to finish here. We have to give, uh, kind of intentionally give space and time uh, and permission for people to grieve well. Let people be sad. We have a tendency to want to just push everyone to happiness right away. Hey, it's been a week. <clears throat> now, I am super guilty of this because I'm kind of by nature a very optimistic, happy person. And so I have to, I have to, okay, and I hate sadness. Sadness is like piercing me, you know? But you gotta be willing to accept that and to endure that. It's important. Can we give space to people? I heard just this morning of a couple people related to our church family, not directly part of our church family, but related, who passed away. Are we gonna, are we gonna be willing to give people space and permission to grieve well? Are we going to be good listeners? Not for everybody. You can't be a good listener for everybody. Remember, the right person can't say anything wrong. The wrong person can't say anything right. Who, who, do you, who are you building a relationship with that, that you can be the right person who can just be there? Not worry whether you say the right thing or not because you can't say the wrong thing because you've demonstrated relationship. You've built the foundation of relationship. And that's the third thing. Are we, are we gonna build friendships? Friendships and relationships so, so that when hard things happen, when people experience loss, we can be the comfort of God to them. I'll never forget, this is the last one, <clears throat> Ed Trenner, some of you will remember Ed Trenner, his wife had throat cancer, and they were going through a hard time some years ago, and he said to me, pray, pray, Kip, that I would not forget in the darkness what I learned in the light that I would not forget in the darkness what I learned in the light. And it's, it's hard to fill your reservoir, your reservoir, your tank, <laughs> when, when you're here in these parts. But, but we, can, we can fill our tank here, build resilience. Well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about four things, scripture, doctrine, 
scripture and doctrine. Okay, to get the word into us and get the truth into us. That's how we do it. Uh, we are doing grief share. And uh, you can hop in that anytime, I think, Thursdays. Uh, grief share is a great thing to get involved in. And I also want to point out to you the Joyful Journey podcast. Uh, on October, just this October 20th, they had the guy who started grief share and a, a great um, uh, interview with him on these, all these same things. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are the God of comfort, and uh, I thank you that you meet us in the middle of our pain, and that, e- that even in the middle of our pain and our hurt and our suffering and our loss, we can choose to say, yes, I will. Yes, I will. Trust you. Hope in you. And that we as a community of faith, a community of believers, can help each other to do the same thing, God. Help us, Lord. to to dispense your grace and your comfort to each other so that we can hold on to hope. And we pray also that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing this song again that we sang earlier just as we respond in faith. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will. You high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy for all my days. Yes, I will. That's right. fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now and in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out so we sing yes I will lift you high
Yes, I will. That's a choice of faith. Faith in God, a God who comforts us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You are sent to comfort as God has comforted you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.